You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Hi, everybody. We are back. It is uh, early September, September 10th, to be precise. I know I'm not supposed to say the date, but I want to today because this weekend is a somber, somber anniversary of 9-11. And it's been touching. Gosh, I mean, the, the, the number of feature stories looking back 20 years, I guess I've, I've been stunned by um, the, the level of coverage, actually, and how just how poignant it is. Uh, thinking back to where we all were 20 years ago and and sad and uh mark i think our i think patrick caitlin and towner were still in diapers but that's a whole different well, discussion I, I was gonna say one of that well they're not they're towner dumb. sorry yeah not i'm dumb. older than you think yeah. i was actually in the longworth house office building on the morning of september 11th all right I, yeah i i was going to rudely say that there are those who think that Patrick uh, is still in diapers, but that, <laughs> but I won't do that to this podcast. But one of the things, Howard, uh, seriously, uh, it, it is amazing to me to think how many Americans weren't alive I know. on 9-11. I know, and you see these pictures of kids who were born, you know, a month or two earlier. I mean, my own daughter was, um, uh, was born just, just shortly, my oldest, just shortly before that it's, uh, and, and to see the kids now and to see the parents now. Yeah. Um, On On the front of our local paper there, there was some interviews with teachers talking about teaching to kids who weren't alive about 9 11. And apparently according to these teachers who were interviewed, there is just a huge interest in it from the kids. There's just, they are like really interested to learn and they have tons of questions and which, which is just an interesting anecdote I read. Yeah. Towner, what was it like in Longworth on September 11th, 2001? I didn't know you were old enough to be there then. Yeah. As Howard said, (laughs) but, but that, that's a footnote to history. What was it like being there that day? It was it was odd. Uh, it's interesting. You know, I read a couple articles uh, this week about uh, some folks experience on the Senate side of the Capitol. I can tell you on the House side of the Capitol, we just didn't really know what was going on. Uh, there was a determination made that morning that uh, we'd pause House business. And my boss at the time, a good uh, uh Lady from from the Chicago suburbs, Judy Biggert uh, from Illinois, actually went to the floor and took over the gavel uh, because Republicans were in charge and closed down the House floor. And that was probably at 10, 15, 10, 30 in the morning. Uh, and so you think about uh, uh, Shanksville and you think about, you know, Flight 93 and, um, you know, whether we'd be here right now, if not for for that plane, if the Capitol Dome uh, would be here. And so uh, I don't mean to get too into it, but it was incredible. I mean, you look out from Longworth and you can see the smoke rising over the Pentagon. You know, we it was chaos. We had reports of the the car bomb in front of the State Department. The mall was on fire, uh, was one of the big ones that was going around. Uh, and yet through all of that, all of the staffers and members calmly went down into the Rayburn Longworth 
uh, garages and drove their cars out because we didn't want our cars to get stuck uh, overnight. Uh, and we, uh, in the, in the Biggert office, we went to, uh, the Congresswoman's house was, uh, right past Tortilla Coast on the house side of the Capitol, maybe three blocks away from, uh, from the house office buildings. And so we posted up there and she did some, some interviews here and there. We tried to make cell phone calls. We couldn't do that because the lines were, were pretty much down. So I couldn't even tell my parents I was okay. Um, and then in the midst of that, I was sitting out on the front stoop. Uh, like I said, three blocks away from, from the Capitol building and the, the garbage guys pulled up to get the trash and we had just watched the first tower fall. And I, I said to the guy, you know, do you, you know, what's going on today? And he said, no, I just got a job to do. And, and went about getting, picking up the trash and, Mm -hmm. uh, everything sort of changed, uh, from that day forward. Um, you know, it's um, it, it left an indelible, uh, obviously, impression on on my life and my career. Yeah. I think about that day a lot. But I, um, but anyway, sorry. I, I, no, it was really interesting. I was a block from the White House at the Export Import Bank that mm. day, and I too got I got out of Dodge. I you know I got in my car and and got out of there. But it was gosh, I mean, earth shattering. I texted a good friend of mine earlier who was in the Twin Towers. Um, XM had an office in, in the World Trade Center. Right. And so he, like, I'm sure people we all know, did the <laughs> ran down the steps and, you know, walked 10 miles home or whatever it was, yeah. took the Staten Island Ferry and and, and walked home. I have a, 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 my, one of my best friends, best friends was on, flight 93 and was one of the guys that charged the cockpit and took the plane down Jeremy Glick. So gosh, what a, it's just, just such a chilling, it's just such a chilling memory, such a chilling memory. It is. And it's interesting to me how infrequently I have thought of it in the last number of years In in the early years afterwards, it was, obviously top of mind and front page news. But then the actual event, like events all do, faded a little until, Howard, as you were saying, all the recent coverage. And and now the memories are back like it was last weekend. Yeah. And, and my most emotional memory is just trying to locate friends and colleagues whom I knew worked there. Yeah. And we're there. And it was impossible, as you were saying, Towner, you couldn't make a cell phone call. All the the, ta- the lines were jammed. And it was agony waiting to find out that everyone was okay, which thank God in, in our case they were. But what it literally fell out of the sky. Who a minute before nobody would have bet this could have happened. Yeah. And then literally falling out of the sky, the world changed. So, you know, get into the podcast a little bit, you know, unfortunately, the president, the current president had a very bad, very bad August. Um, I don't think anybody would argue that point, but he pegged the Afghanistan withdrawal to 9-11, which I personally think was, he didn't have to do that. It the optic was, was horrible. I think it amplified it's, it's, I think on some level what happened with Afghanistan in over the last 
month kind of amplified 9-11 uh, to, to some degree or, or vice versa, maybe vice versa. But, um, you know, Mark, Biden had a, he had a pretty awful August between Afghanistan and uh, oh. the resurgent COVID situation. Um, and I'm just wondering what, you know, what your take is on, on what August was like for Biden and does it, does it stick to him? Well, the most optimistic thing I can say about uh, Biden's month of August is that it's now September. So he, I think he's digging out of the hole that he, he fell into. It was a bad month. No question. It was a bad month. Obviously, it was a bad month. I, and I know you're asking about the politics. Uh, I do want to say I, I think substantively as a presidential matter, I think he did the exact right thing, pulling us out of Afghanistan I don't know that it could have been done much better. I know it couldn't have been done much worse. It was never going to be a, a good ending. But at least politically, it was a terrible, it was a terrible month for him. With that and with COVID, which remains, which remains the top uh, agenda item in, in the White House. You know, Howard, you and I, heard people say to us uh, as this administration was coming into office, we would ask people, what are the top three priorities for the incoming president? And the answer would be COVID, then COVID, and after that, COVID. Yeah. And here we are again. Yeah, that, well, that I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure I agree that it was the right thing to get us out of Afghanistan. I mean... And and he certainly didn't have to do it now. If those were the top three priorities, and they still are, then why did he undertake? Why did he engage in or give himself, give us the country, the self-inflicted wound of doing that while we're still trying to pull ourselves out of COVID? Like he didn't have to. He didn't have to do it. He didn't have to do it now. It was he's fighting with his own generals. It was ham-handed. It was poorly executed, and I don't. I you know we could debate and the all right day. thing to do. I, I, I agree with everything you said, except for it being the right thing to do. Didn't have to happen in August. It was there was never going to be a good time to end that war because it was always going to end as it did in defeat. We lost the war, and it was right. always going to end in defeat. Are, and there was never going to be a good time, but we still have twenty eight thousand troops on the Korean Peninsula. Yeah, I mean, why couldn't that, we have? Why couldn't we have left our five is it, five thousand troops in Afghanistan? Isn't that in large part though because of the nuclear weapons issue? I mean, there's there's not a direct correlation to our situation in Korea and our situation in Afghanistan. I I agree with Mark. I think there was never uh, going to be a good time to end the war. You can. I think all of us can debate, uh, you know, just having watched it all play it on TV, if, if this was the right time politically for him uh, to do it. But, um, you know, we had two previous presidents who both said they were going to do it and they didn't. And the reason is because once you get in there, they realized it was a heck of a lot more complicated uh, than just pulling everyone out. And, and so why did Biden just pull everybody out? Because I mean, it, it was more complicated. And the problem is the narrative. It wasn't an endless yeah. war. The problem, I mean, we had 
we went from 85,000 troops there to 5,000 troops. It wasn't the same situation as it was 20 years ago. And so to try to frame it up that way made made no sense to me. No, and I think the-, the problem is that the narrative from not one, not two, but three White Houses was that this was an endless war when it was like fundamentally a very different situation than it yeah. had been at the beginning. Well, and the winning and the losing is a little com- more complicated too. Like this is where this is where Afghanistan isn't like Vietnam, right? We our goal was to prevent the spread of communism in Vietnam. We failed and we lost. In Afghanistan, if the goal of the war was to was to create a permanent stable democracy in Afghanistan, we lost. If it was to kill Osama bin Laden and uh, you know fight the fight, uh, we were talking about 9-11 earlier and make sure that those people in those buildings didn't die in vain, we've had some tremendous success over there. So it's just, it's a little less complicated than winning and losing like a, like an athletic event, right? It's a little more complicated. A little more mean. complicated, yeah. yes. That's and, right. Yes. right, that's the thing. We, but we, Howard, you can agree or disagree with the president's policy, but it is the clearly stated, and I thought for Joe Biden, strongly and, and articulately stated policy of this president that the United States is not going to engage in nation building. We are not nation building. 5,000 troops isn't nation building. They weren't there to nation build. I'm all for not nation building, but that was. And having 5,000 troops sit uh, in a compound in a Taliban controlled country accomplishes what? Having a military presence to make sure that what happened on 9-11 doesn't happen again. Period. But that period that isn't accomplished with 5,000 troops. That's apparently it is because before we pulled out, how much bad news was coming out of Afghanistan? Not very much. Yeah. Go ahead, Towner. I just want to jump in for two seconds here. First of all, you're both right in certain circumstances. So <laughs> you were going to hold Afghanistan and deny it to, to uh, being a terrorist haven with 5,000 troops. There was going to have to be a step-up basis. Second of all, though, Biden didn't have to pull out at this moment. He could have pulled out during the winter months when the Taliban could not have been activated in the way that they did and take over the country, given Afghanistan at least a couple months head start to shore up defenses in cities and the like. Um, but he wanted to pull out. And, and, you know, I think what this consistently is, and this is crossed over administrations, Republican and Democrat, is a failure of mission accomplished banners. And it's consistent. It's on COVID, Trump mission accomplished, Biden mission accomplished, Afghanistan, George W. Bush mission accomplished, uh, Obama mission accomplished when we killed Osama bin Laden. And now Biden mission accomplished. We we've, uh, drawn down in Afghanistan. It, there's no mission accomplished here. These are ongoing issues that require legitimate hard work, uh, to be able to manage, not accomplish. Well, and, and yeah, that's just to, to your litany, which I agree with. Uh, I think, George W.'s uh, mission accomplished was for Iraq, where we also didn't accomplish the mission. Witness what has happened in Iraq since we withdrew there. You're well, exactly right. Well, I, I, I think that Biden was sloppy, ill-prepared, lazy, 
and um, he didn't have to do it. And um, and what? And, and imagine I I'm 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 as much, if not more, of a Trump hater than anybody on this podcast. But can you imagine if it had been Donald Trump at the helm? What you would have been saying, Mark, if the pictures appeared on TV that appeared on TV in August, never you would have been. It never would have happened. You would have been apoplectic for for a long time over and and this was Joe Biden and I think these guys they've been complacent. They have. They have they took the helm and they told the world, well, we're just better than Donald Trump. And look, I'll take Joe Biden any day of the week and twice on Sunday over Donald Trump. But they were lazy and thoughtless in the way that they did this. And the pictures are going to follow us for a long, long time. And 13 U.S. and the 13 U.S. service members that lost their lives because of the gross incompetence of this administration the strategic decision to give up Bagram Air Force Base, to leave terrorist organizations with our tanks, our weapons, our plans, to rely on the Taliban, a terrorist organization, to help us evacuate our own citizens. This will be read about in the history books for generations as a massive failure. And I don't think Americans are going to forget that. Well, I think uh, the memory that Americans are going to have of it in political terms is is going to be short because too much else is happening. Yeah, but Mark, and, it's not just and, about the politics. I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's you and I had this discussion a couple of weeks back, so I knew you would go there. But it's not just <laughs> the politics. It is. We needed stability after Trump. We needed world order. We needed the rest of the world to start to look to the United States as a leader again. And instead, we're going home with our tail between our legs and we're, again, the laughing stock of the world. It was very bad for all of the above. It was very bad for the Biden brand. You and I did have this discussion. You know, I agree with that. But I also believe that it, with everything else going on, and this says whatever it says about us as a country, I think that it, going forward, the credibility of the Biden administration is going to turn much more on COVID than on Kabul. I think it's going to turn much more on reconciliation than Afghanistan. I I think that both politically and substantially, a majority of Americans, by the way, agree with the decision to leave Afghanistan, and a majority of Americans agree that it was done in just about the worst imaginable manner. But but look at what is happening since that decision with COVID, with climate, with um, infrastructure and reconciliation. The, the world keeps turning, and this this administration uh, is either going to regain its footing or not on those issues. Uh, I feel like I'm gonna I feel like I'm gonna sound like a Peggy Noonan op-ed in the Wall Street Journal here because I'm I'm not gonna talk about specifics. It's gonna be kind of airy and the feel of the American people. But I, I think to Howard's point, the one thing there it just came off as totally incompetent. 
And that is the shattering of the brand. There also was no expectation setting at all. And whether they just got bad intelligence or trusted the wrong intelligence or what, like what I saw, just if you kind of remove our DC partisan blinders and all that, what was frustrating to me was sort of a lack of being candid about what was going on. And when you're seeing one thing on television and you're hearing remarks that don't seem to be taking that into account, he just came off like a stubborn Irishman who was like, I want to do this and I'm going to do it and I don't care. And, and that is actually one of the worst parts of Biden's sort of political personality. And he had been able to succeed and I think have Americans feel comfortable with him as the leader of the free world because there's this built up narrative about foreign policy and his experience and all that stuff. But being chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee for a couple of decades and knowing all the leaders' names because you're vice president is a lot different than the judgment question, which I think was really, you know, called into question. Yeah, given I don't care about the brand. I care about yeah. the country. Yeah. And what this was billed as returning America. Biden's administration was going to return America uh, to its place with its allies as as the leader of the free world. And, you know, right now we have Tony Blinken, our secretary of state, on a worldwide apology tour uh, going to, you know, uh, capitals all across the world uh, saying, hey, sorry, we we uh, pulled out so quickly. And, uh, you know, sorry, we left your guys hanging as well. Um, You know, the British are upset. Uh, because of the the sort of blame that was placed on them for the incident that killed uh, the 13 uh, soldiers. Um, you know, it's right now is when the Biden administration should have been shoring up that support amongst allies to counter the four years of the Trump administration when we did such a horrible job of managing uh, our alliances. And, and this has happened, unfortunately. I just... I want to see him do better. I'm rooting for the guy, not against the guy. And and that's why I think we have to talk about and look at uh, the rest of what is going on. Yeah, but but Mark, Tony Blinken was in the Hamptons while this was going on. I mean, shouldn't of course he should. I mean, self-inflicted wound, self-inflicted wound. Yeah. and Obama shouldn't have had the party on Martha's Vineyard. Let's let's stipulate to that as well. Okay. I mean that was silliness. And by the way, no problem with him having a party, but that's because I believe in freedom. Mark, you Mark was just mad it was on Martha's Vineyard. I was mad. like an inner island and dispute. And Paul yeah. Trump and I were mad we weren't invited. Yeah, there right. you go. All right. Um, well, you could have been invited, but you would have been uninvited. I wouldn't right. have gone. Yeah. Right. Yeah, um, I don't do the vineyard. Yeah, if David Axelrod got uninvited, we had no shot. So yeah, yeah. The uh, by the way, I found equally distasteful all the calls from the Republican side for his impeachment. You know what? I mean, the nonsense to try to equalize this with Trump was off the charts, and I I didn't like that at all. That's that's my personal view, obviously. Um, meanwhile, Delta wrecked the month and it's back and wrecked everything. Yeah. I mean, which is more again, as a political matter and as a matter of caring for the country, Howard, uh, COVID remains public enemy. Number one in, in political terms and in patriotic terms, it's bad. 
what's happening there. I, I it will not surprise you to hear that I think that what the president did yesterday was right. I think it was late, frankly. It was but late. I think, yeah, I think it was late, but I think it was right. And I think it is just a measure of the division in, in this society, not just politically, but as a society, that it is an issue whether the right thing to do is to have a vaccine mandate. That had been considered a settled question in this country for 120 years. And, and it's really the coming undone of, of the fabric of this society that that is now a civil war issue. Mark, you said civil- it. You said the virus was and it was the n- number one enemy. That's the problem is not a lot of Americans think that. It's not us versus the virus. It's us versus each other. It's, again, bringing it back to 9-11. When all those members of Congress were singing God Bless America in front of the Capitol, it was us versus terrorism. That is not, it is like, Vaccinated Americans versus unvaccinated Americans, masks versus non-masks. It's just complete chaos. And I totally agree with what you said. It's like the unwinding of, it's just, to what end are we going to argue about this stuff? It's, but it's, guys, I would say, um, again, I feel like I need to like caveat everything I'm saying today. I am, I have no personal tolerance for anybody who won't get vaccinated, period. But this isn't a Trump voters versus Biden voters thing. It, it, it's it's much more complex than that. It's not. It, it's it's cultural, but the collision, cultural collisions. It, it's not just working class white people against educated white people. It's it is it's deeper. It's bigger, and it's it's complicated. To say we should have a mandate, that's fine. So you're going to fire your employees if they won't get vaccinated. Guess what's going to happen, Mark? Guess who's going to guess who's going to lose? Who's going to lose? The the workers that won't get vaccinated. They're going to be out on the streets. People are not going to get vaccinated. You can be pro-vaccine, and I absolutely would encourage and have encouraged all of my loved ones, friends, and family to get vaccinated, but also be concerned about this aggressive, unconstitutional overreach of the federal government and the slippery slope that it creates. It's not unconstitutional. I mean, there now the Supreme Court can always reverse itself. It is in the process of doing that on abortion, which is yet another civil war issue in the country, but Taylor, it is not dig. unconstitutional under 120 years of Supreme precedent. We have measles vaccine mandates and smallpox vaccine mandates and mumps vaccine for, mandates. Listen, for me, it's not a matter of constitutionality or no, that's even overreach. To me, it is about the practical reality of the fact that Disadvantaged populations who don't who are afraid to get vaccinated are not going to get vaccinated. They're going to get fired and they're going to suffer economically. 
and companies aren't going to be able to provide well, the services. When the vaccine becomes They're available, squeezed. when the vaccine becomes available to children under the age of twelve, and the school district in Patrick's little town out there in suburban Chicago mandates the vaccine. Are you going to come on this podcast and say that the children whose parents didn't want them vaccinated should go to school? Hell no, I'm all. That's what you're saying. No, no, I'm all. No, no, it's totally different. I'm saying I am all for pushing the vaccine as hard as we can. I just think that the administration. I just think it's really hard to paint with a broad brush. I'm. You know how pro-vaccine I am. You're worried about unintended consequences. I'm worried about unintended consequences. Yeah. But you have to risk the unintended consequences because of the known consequences of allowing 30% of the country to remain unvaccinated. And and it's especially about the kids, especially about the children. I agree. A wholeheartedly. yeah, yeah. But, you got, I mean, we've got, got a two, we got a three-year-old going to preschool, you know, wearing a mask who's been locked up for a year and a half. And I'm not mad at the school district for forcing these kids to wear a mask. I'm yeah. mad at all these people out there who won't get the shot and stop holding my family hostage and holding all these kids hostage. I am too. It's ridiculous. I am, Patrick, I am too. In a in a huge way. I can't stand, I have no tolerance. I, I every call I've done with the client with a client in the last 24 hours, I begin with a speech about how little toler personal tolerance I have for people that won't get vaccinated. But there's a reality out there. The reality is largely going to affect minorities. Yeah. And I'm very, I feel very, I'm very concerned about that. Yeah. That's a good one. T- it, it is not primarily going to affect minorities, although it will affect minority communities, which for very legitimate historical reasons have a real suspicion of a government-ordered medical program. But just demographically, that is not where the majority of the unvaccinated are. And what I'm trying to understand is, is your gripe that it is government that did it? When Cozen O'Connor, when Cozen O'Connor imposed the vaccine mandate, did you have the same concern? I think, no, but I think it depends on... Why not? Because I... Because I want to go to work in a place where people are vaccinated. Yeah. I'm in the same boat as as Patrick here. I have a second grader uh, who goes to school with a mask every day. They leave the windows open. I don't care if it's summer or if it's, you know, the middle of winter. Uh, They have ventilation through the school. She's learning to cope with all of it. It's been very difficult. But at the end of the day, my concern here is I don't know, and I work in this industry every single day, I don't know where the health information stops and the politics start, the political conversations start. You know, I wouldn't put it past anybody to start mandating under 12 vaccines, even though I know for a fact, I actually trust Pfizer more right now than I trust the federal government (laughs) because the information on the studies I'm getting from Pfizer 
I'm not getting it from the CDC. I'm not getting it from anybody who's supposed to be a health director in this government right now. The message changes from day to day. I actually trust the companies more than I trust the government right now. And, you know, it's funny. My wife was pregnant uh, during COVID uh, after the shot had come out. And we didn't get the shot at first because Pfizer told us, don't get the shot. The government told us, well, maybe you should go ahead and get the shot. And we said, well, what studies, what information are you basing that off of? And they said, well, we don't know. It's just better to be safe than sorry, I guess. And so we went to Pfizer because we have those uh, contacts and ability. And they said, don't get the shot yet. We have no idea. And they said, unless you, your wife works in a hospital in a COVID ward, don't get the shot. And then Pfizer finished up their, their data and they said, okay, we, we have a solid conclusion. This is safe for, for pregnant women. And my wife then at that point got the shot. But, you know, but, it's, but I don't know where the Pfizer, politics ends and the health expertise begins. Pfizer can't impose the vaccine. Only government can. And when Pfizer recommends the vaccine for, did you say have a second grader? Yeah. When Pfizer recommends the vaccine for second graders, do you want your local school board, forget the CDC, forget Joe Biden, your local school board that you voted for and the members live in your neighborhood, do you want them to require all of the second graders to get the vaccine? Well, again, I don't have a problem with that. They require a gajillion vaccines right, right. now for right. my mom to go to school. Right. Mark, so was I, it the right decision for Mark? Was it the right decision for the Biden administration to exempt em- employers with under a hundred employees? I probably wouldn't have. I probably wouldn't. <laughs> Did have. you even know that that was part of it? I'm I'm not saying I'm not saying that I am all for the vaccine. The time to have done this was the time to have thought these things through was six months ago, not while we're in the middle of the Delta wave. And I'm telling you, you can sit in the ivory tower all you want, but employers are dealing with these real world issues. And I'm telling you, they are impacting communities of color to a much more significant degree. We're hearing it from our clients. I I appreciate that. I have participated in a decision at a health system with 40,000 employees, a decision to mandate the vaccine. And it was a very difficult decision for exactly that reason. Because of the disparate so, impact it was likely to have on. Um, so, what do you do about was, that? What do you do about the that? The decision was made that our obligation was to make the hospital safe. That's different. That the hospital couldn't be safe without uh, a vaccine mandate, and and we voted for it. And I I stand by that decision, but I don't pretend that it doesn't have implications or consequences. And and there it and it has implications and consequences, by the way, for the quality of care it, when employees are terminated in one of the just most unintelligible labor markets I've ever seen, because we can't replace some of the employees whom we have to terminate 
because there because you can't find enough nurses. My point, I am I feel like I've been painted into a corner here of being against mandatory vaccination, <laughs> well, which I, I am yes, which I, I am not. I am asking you I am not. I, I think Caitlin is, by the way. I am. I am. I'm okay with a private business making that decision. I am not okay mm-hmm. with the federal government making that decision. I would like mm-hmm. to understand what has changed. From two months ago, when Jen Psaki stood at the White House press podium and said, no, we're not mandating vaccines. Of course, we can't mandate vaccines. We don't have the authority to do this. And I am saying that the administration is not thinking it through. That's what I am saying. Well, I was on the I was on the phone today with um, uh, Seema Nanda, who's the solicitor for the U.S. Department of Labor um, and some folks from the Chamber of Commerce. And she was walking through what this looked like. And there's a lot of questions. What who qualifies as an employee? Do independent contractors qualify? What happens if they who pays for the mandatory once a week testing? What happens if an employer refuses? Can they work from home or do they have to be fired? Can they go out on temporary medical leave? Maybe they're pregnant and they're making a personal decision. They haven't thought she had no answers to any of these questions. And if we wait until we have all the answers, we'll all we will all will have had COVID and those of us who lived will be over it. Yeah, I'm so pissed off. I just want the biggest, broadest mandate possible that makes the most unvaccinated people angry. It's like when Michael Jordan got asked before a golf match by a guy, how much are we playing for? And he said, whatever makes you uncomfortable. That's what I want. I want whatever yeah. makes these people uncomfortable because I want, I want, we can't live like this anymore. It's just, yeah. it's, and, it's, and, and the history of it, this. everything, Towner, your comment about where the health uh, information stops and the politics begins. It, this, this to me, like, when did anti-vax become like a relative plur, plurality <laughs> position? Like, when did this happen? Crazy. It's Crazy. ludicrous. It's insane. Um, but what I want is a standard set message. I mean, I was supposed to be getting my Pfizer booster uh, this week, uh, according to President Biden, a month ago. And meanwhile, the FDA and the CDC came out and said, whoa, 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 no chance you're doing that right away. We haven't approved anything. So, yeah. uh, you know, when when am I going to get my booster now? You get, Here's the you got to go in and say you haven't been vaccinated. And then you get your first shot, which is actually your third shot. You go in, you go in and give them your name and tell them you're immunocompromised. They're going to look at you and believe you. Yeah, they say, they say you can get in trouble for that now. I guess it's easy to be in your ivory tower when you're sitting up on Nantucket for the summer. Yeah. You should come back down to, you should come, it's September, Mark. You should come back down to, come back down to the States. and After the Jewish holidays, I am coming. And I did cast my vote for the mandate 30 miles out to sea. I, I confess that. I'm back down to where the regular people are and actually talk oh, to in, companies. In Com- actually talk to companies that are on the front lines of this thing. Until- and. Let's think it through. It feels, it feels, it feels once again, like, like a poorly timed ham-handed move by this administration. I I get it. I get it. After a summer in Nantucket, which was very enjoyable having you here. You're still there, of course. And Aspen after Nantucket. And then the coast of California, you had to go back to Bethesda to reground yourself in the reality of American life. Mark, it is (laughs) 
It is. Um, Neither of us have any standing or credibility. Fair enough. Caitlin has a little. Towner a little. Patrick. Guys, a it, it all goes. It all goes. This country elected a stubborn Irish president, and we are seeing what that he, he woke up this week. He was he was mad about the Delta variant, and he's like, "We're doing but it." That's that's my point. Right. I know that's exactly. Yeah. That's my point. You got. You gotta be more thoughtful. But all my family members are like this. Maybe I'm just used to it, you know. <laughs> this is Chicago. This is totally this is the way I've been brought up. Still better to to do it in in this imperfect way than not to do it. That's my bottom line. I don't even disagree with with most of what's been said about the competence and certainly the communication. F minus for the communication. And and yeah, what a world towner where Pfizer is the credible source uh, on these matters. But notwithstanding all of the above, uh, uh, better to have done it than, than not. And we got we got to find a way out of this thing. Yeah, Mark, it seems to be a, a theme uh, across all of these is. Yeah, they screwed everything up. Uh, but, you know, in 20 years, we'll be glad they did all these things. <laughs> I mean, look. Which brings us to the bipartisan infrastructure package. Oh, please. We're not. I mean, we should have talked about that, but we're going on 40 minutes. We're, we're, we're not getting into that, but we can do that next week. The, uh, I mean, I, we got some big issues and. Um, this administration has to raise its game. I mean, that's kind of my bottom line. Like, I agree. I, I've been in the belly of the beast in a crisis. Um, unfortunately, this administration inherited multiple crises, and I think they did so. Biden got elected because he wasn't Trump, and they're governing like, well, I'm better than the last guy. That's not good enough. And I don't care about his political brand. I don't care where we're going to be in three years when he's up for re-election if he runs. I care about the state of the country and the state of the world and leadership. And we need leadership. And right now, they're, right now it feels like a bit of a rudderless ship. And I think he is a guy. I still believe that he's, he's a hell of a lot better than the last guy. And I think he is a guy with some talented people around him who could, who can, who, who can actually govern in a co coherent and cohesive way, but they're off to a very rough start. They have well, very, they have many, many vacancies in the administration many, many unfilled positions, no excuse for that. And they're just not off to a good start. Anita Dunn leaves, Anita Dunn goes back to the private <laughs> sector and they can't communicate a single thing. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Caitlin, we're going to give you the last word. I don't know, Howard. I felt like that was a pretty compelling uh, last place to leave it. If, okay. Well, then no, we'll leave it there. We'll, we'll leave, leave it, it there. there. So Howard, when are you getting your booster? Uh, well, I talked to my doctor about that. <laughs> yeah. And Pfizer. Pfizer. Yes. Yeah. And she, I trust my doctor. She said people that get it earlier than people that are being aggressive in, in getting it 
because anybody can go get another shot yeah. or getting really, really sick. And she said to, to wait uh, a little bit. So I'm going to wait a little bit. I'm glad you had the ability to talk to your doctor and, and listen to their advice and opinion without getting fired, Howard. I mean, oh, that was that was the parting shot from Caitlin. She didn't even know she had it yeah. in her. <laughs> good. Look, good. Let's um, give Caitlin that. that all right, last very good. That was very good. good. Was well done. Very good. All right. Well, good discussion as always. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Terrific as always. And we'll be back next week. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.